quick announcement here. If you have not yet signed up for the four keys to building a lifestyle business through real estate masterclass, the free live masterclass with me, where you'll be learning two of the most profitable real estate strategies today to dramatically cut down your risk yet can be utilized with no cash, credit, or banks. You'll also be learning the key shift that disconnects your time from your income. And this shift enables real estate investors, successful real estate investors, to to create what we like to term a lifestyle business. You'll be learning that shift on the live masterclass. You'll also be learning the four highest converting approaches to closing deals with motivated sellers. Guys, this approach is going to drastically reduce the icky sales feeling that you get, the maybe even the timid or nauseated feeling that you get when you're about to get a deal done. Uh, This is ultimately going to help you serve a seller and create the most profitable real estate transaction for you. Last but not least, guys, on this live masterclass that you can sign up for now if you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass. Last but not least, you'll learn the single most effective way to become a real estate investor here in 2020 and why you must know this starting out right out of the gate to stay motivated throughout your business building journey. Guys, that link again is beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass. This is a live masterclass coming up this Thursday. This will be the very last time we'll do this masterclass and we will be shutting it down if you don't want to miss it before the millions.com forward slash masterclass. And I cannot wait to see you there. If you are a member of the tribe, make sure that you hit the chat box while we're going live and make sure that you represent for the tribe before the millions.com forward slash masterclass. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome back to another episode, another installment, installment 149 of the Before the Millions podcast. Guys, on today's episode, we are interviewing ex-financial advisor turned real estate investor slash entrepreneur slash teacher and coach, Mr. Chris Miles. Chris uh, has an amazing, amazing platform. I've actually just got done doing an interview on his show, which is called Money Ripples. And on today's show, guess what? We're talking about how your money is rippling. And we're talking about exactly how your money's not rippling, especially with the ways that you're currently investing or spending your money today. Many people have been taught to spend money or invest money in their 401k. I'm sorry. Many people have been taught to receive the match. Many people have been taught that a 100% match is a no-brainer. 
We're going to learn how to think just a little bit different on today's show, guys. We're going to learn that, hey, hey, we're going to learn exactly what types of rates of returns you should look for and what propaganda is being fed to us on a day-to-day basis. Guys, you guys know that I am on this on this really learning adventurous tip when it comes to my health and my eating and really just finding the perfect diet for me long term. And um, I've been doing a ton of research and I'm just now realizing, although I've always known it and a lot of us have always known it, but when you actually do the research and you see the facts, I'm just now realizing how much propaganda rules marketing, how much propaganda rules sales, how much how much disinformation out there there is just to sell more items, just to sell more types of food, just to have you believing in certain things. What if I told you that ice cream doesn't actually make you happy? What if I told you that chocolate doesn't actually make you happy? Would we no longer be friends? You know, one thing that's factual is that you will never ever again, because it's been disproved and debunked, but you will never see an ad, a commercial anywhere that says that milk will help build strong bones. Never. It will never happen again. Guys, propaganda. But maybe they'll still put somebody by that image who has a milk mustache and they're flexing. Just to kind of get you to think that, hey, this is exactly what milk does and what it's always done. Guys, propaganda. And the same thing works in the financial world. What are these vehicles that we're putting our money in? What's really going on? What is our real rate of return? On today's show, we're going to talk about all of this. We're going to talk about the things that they don't want you to know about money, the things that they don't want you to know. They mean in your financial institution. They mean in Wall Street. They mean in your financial advisor because they're trying to line their pockets. We're going to talk about all the things that they don't want you to know about money on today's show. So, guys, stick around and we will get right into it. The raise tip of the week. So, we were supposed to put a tip of the week here, but instead, guys, I have a quick reiteration that's actually a, maybe even a tip of the year. Guys, if you're actually considering getting started in real estate here in 2020 or you've gotten started and you're not yet on the right footing, attend Thursday's live webinar. On Thursday's live webinar, all will be explained and you'll be able to start having clarity around what's working, what's not working. And again, going back to some of the best ways to take down deals here in 2020, you'll have a lot more luck and a lot more fun doing the thing that you want to do to totally escape the rat race. Guys, that masterclass is going to be live. So at the very end, we'll have a Q&A session where I'll get to answer all of your questions live. No matter what they are, we'll stay on the horn until your questions are answered. That link again is beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass. And we'll be sharing the four keys to building a lifestyle business through real estate. Hey, I cannot wait to see you there. Go ahead and register because registration closes here pretty shortly. And uh, we also have a limit. We have a 150 person limit. So once it reaches 150 people, nobody else can register for this masterclass and this masterclass presentation will not be given again. So head over to beforethemans.com forward slash masterclass. And I cannot wait to see you there. All right, let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. It's funny because, you know, I think back to my childhood I was pretty much like the, uh, like slightly above average kid in everything, right? Like I've always kind of been a renaissance man of sorts, you know, where I can be good at a lot of things, but I wasn't great at any one thing. So I was always overlooked. Like I was always underestimated in so many ways. I mean, 
heck, I was even short. I didn't, I didn't even grow six, my extra six inches until my, between my junior and senior year of high school. I was like five foot three as a junior, you know, and grew like six inches, like five foot nine and a half, you know, so I'm, I'm a beast of a man now, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, you know, like, but, you know, I was always just like, just above average. And, you know, I'll tell you, like, I was actually a really shy kid, like super, super shy. Like I could not talk to more than one person at a time without pouring in sweat and palm sweating and everything else. And I'll tell you, like, it's funny when you just mentioned that, like I had a memory pop up and I forgot, I don't usually share about this, but a book that totally changed my life was actually the autobiography of Malcolm X. Like that was the book that totally changed everything for me. That's interesting. Because it, it, he, uh, I respected him so much because he was, he was, you know, so like, uh, I mean, he, he was, his life was really turned around by what he got from his religion, you know, and everything. And then from there he started to have a voice, right. And being a guy that was so quiet, like being a quiet kid and super shy, like I always felt I had a voice, but I, I felt like there's this line within me that was wanting to come out, but it didn't know how, you know, like it was being suppressed. Um, so finally in college, as I got out, like I started to open up more socially, you know, I started to realize like, Hey, I can kind of re- reinvent myself. And, and during college, that's when the entrepreneur bug hit me the most, you know, uh, because I realized I wanted control of my own freedom and my destiny, you know, and I knew I could not have that time or money freedom just working a typical job. So my, my original start was to be a business consultant, right? That was going to be my thing is walk into corporations you know, tell them what they're doing wrong with their employees and then walk out with a big paycheck. But as I got to my senior year of college, I realized I'm like, you know what? I don't want just book smarts. I want real life experience. And if I'm going to do that, I have to have some sort of real life business experience, not just, you know, learning from a college. So I actually dropped out with one class before my bachelor's. Like I was one class away. Actually, it wasn't even a class. It was a project away from my bachelor's. Dropped out decided to figure out what, what was going to be the entrepreneur journey. And the first thing that came up that really struck me was becoming a financial advisor. Because uh, little did I know that becoming a financial advisor uh, was pretty easy. All you had to do is pass some tests and they didn't care about how smart you were. You know, like you just had to pass the tests and they would train you how they wanted you to teach. And I was kind of like, um, I was a little like Adam Sandler in The Wedding Singer. If you've seen that movie, you know, where, you know, he goes in for a job at the bank and he's like, well, tell us about your qualifications. He says, well, I've got a jar on top of my fridge. It's got some money in it. I'd like to put more in. And that's where you come in, sir. You know? oh. And uh, the guy's like, get out. Like, you're- <laughs> but I was kind of that guy. Like, like money always kind of intrigued me. But like, it was like, I-, I wanted to know how to create freedom for myself and for even like my dad who had worked his whole life and uh, thought he was going to die working. So I thought, you know what, even if it's just for my own personal gain, this is pretty cool. Plus, I'll learn how to build a business, right? Well, you know, four years later, I stayed dropped out of college, never went back, and I stayed in business because I'm like, I actually like being an entrepreneur, and, and I kind of like teaching about money. But the turning point for me, though, um, was uh, after about four years, I started to look at reality, right? Because I always like to look at what's, what's truth. You know, I always, I'm a tr- seeker of truth, and I'm like, man, yeah, I'm looking at the reality here. If I look at the, what the real market returns of the stock market is and things like that, well, crap, like they suck. Like, you know, like for example, last 30 years, the S&P 500's only averaged seven and a half percent, you know, not 10 or 12, like I was teaching people. So, I mean, I've been teaching people for years and my pocketbook was tied to telling them that, hey, you can be able to have retirement and freedom if you just 
you know, save everything, spend nothing, be cheap, sacrifice, suffer, suck, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, so that someday you might have something, right? And what I've realized is, man, if I put in real numbers, it's really depressing. Like there's no freedom involved. Did, did that come down to fact checking? Because, or like, was it just, hey, this is what we teach and this is just the numbers and you're just like, okay, yeah, 10, 12%, okay, that sounds right. And I just start, you know, evangelizing that as if that's truth. And then you go back and find another source and you're like, wait, that's not, is that, is that kind of what happened? Yeah, because, you know, like when I was running numbers early on, right? Like when I was basing on like, because they show the little charts, you know, over like since, you know, 200 BC, you know, here's what the market's done, right? And uh, they're showing you, hey, even with the Great Depression, all these recessions, still, you know, the large cap stocks averaged 10.2% or, you know, small cap stocks were like 11.74% or whatever, right? They would show that kind of stuff. And we're like, look, this is why you should get into like mutual funds and things like that. And, you know, sometimes you can be able to put your money in 401k, but maybe you put it in other investment vehicles that we got here, right? And it was always about what I sold. And, and I realized the, making the, big, the numbers, Making the numbers fit the narrative. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the big epiphany happened to me about three years in when, uh, cause I, I came in, this is 18 years ago when I first became a financial advisor, which is right after nine 11. And, uh, so I came in during the recession during, you know, uh, the whole, um, you know, WorldCom Enron stuff. Like it was like the worst time to be a financial advisor. Right. So I was born out of adversity in that industry. And, uh, and so I remember it was 2005, you know, so about three years in, and I remember like, uh, you know, a guy came in saying, hey, look at this. Like he would say, you know, look at this. Like if you lose 50%, what's the rate of return you need to make to get back to breaking even again, to back to zero? And all of us financial advisors said 50%, right? He's like, wrong. He's like, look, you have 10,000 bucks. It drops by 50%. You're down to 5,000 bucks. Well, if you get a 50% return on 5,000, that's only half. That only gets you up to 7,500. Yep. He's like, you've got to make a hundred percent return to break even. He's like, therefore, in those two years, your average, you know, return to get to zero, if you have minus 50 plus 100 divided, you know, 50 divided by two, that's 25% a year. And we're like, wait a minute. So the average return is 25% a year, but the actual was zero. He's like, oh yeah, we won't talk about the fact that fees are coming out. So you'll have less than 10,000 <laughs> during that time. They don't count that in the returns, right? Yeah. And uh, and I was and and we started really. Uh, some of us advisors, they were like, "Whoa!" I want I want to slow this down for the listeners because I don't know if they caught on to everything that you just said. Uh huh. You have ten thousand dollars invested in the stock market, and you lose five thousand dollars. So you just lost fifty percent of your money. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, right. for you to get back the ten thousand dollars, you would assume that you would need to make a fifty percent gain. Right. Well, that's not actually correct. You're, you're, you would, you would make $2,500 off of a 50% gain. So you would need to make a 100% gain. Yep. You have um, to double it. To, so you would have to double it. So in those, what would you say in those two years, your average rate of return is 25%. Right. Now, that's the average. But then when you go back in your bank account and you look at your bank balance, it says $10,000 and you think, Hey, I got an average rate of return for of 25% over the past two years. And then I see my $10,000 and I'm just like, wait. That's exactly what I started with. Mm-hmm. I really didn't make any money, but what's advertised to me is that I made a whole lot of money. And in fact, I may have even lost money because of all the fees that were associated with the transactions over the years. Right. That's, and that's, what, that's why a lot of people like I'll talk to over the last few years will say, wait a minute, the market's hitting brand new highs. 
why is my account not reflecting that? Right. Because of those, those things. Now we haven't had a negative year for like 10 years. So people haven't felt this recently. It's only those of us that are probably at least our forties or fifties that have felt this, especially right. Especially with the last recession and especially the early two thousands, right? We had two recessions in one decade. And, uh, and that's, and that's the tough part is, and, and I remember like thinking back and, and we ran numbers. We said, Hey, from 1995 to 2005, who would have been better off even with the roaring nineties. And there was a huge spike in the stock market during the, the late nineties. Right. But even with the Y2K and then a recovery up to 2005 for, for a few years, we're like, well, surely it should be better doing that. When we looked at it, we said, well, wait, if we had, we're in like, you know, fixed type of accounts, we would have been better off. We would have had a better return being in like fixed accounts or things that were more stable than we were being in the stock market, even with all the new highs and everything else. And that like really kind of got us, it got me, especially the question. I mean, some of those guys still funny enough, they actually stuck with it because they're, again, your pocketbook's tied to it, but it put a little weakness in my thing because I realized, wait a minute, I'm showing this graph of the great depression. That's the best thing a marketing, a financial company will tell you, right? Because during the great depression, the market went down 90%, right? Well, to get back up to breaking even, back to where it was before, you have to make 900% return to get there, wow. right? So that's, of course, that's why the average returns look awesome. Wow. But that's yeah. when I started to say, well, wait, what's the real return? Like if I were to put it into a calculator and it came with actual stock market, you know, reality, right? That's when I figured out, I was like, well, wait, maybe average is 10%, but the reality, like a 30-year average even now, is about seven and a half percent. Now you start to put that into a calculator as a financial advisor, right? You start to, you know, move that out over 30, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, right? To show people what their actual money's going to be. It's drastically different, like horribly different. Like, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember uh, there was a tweet by Dave Ramsey on Twitter that I, I show on my, uh, to my clients and stuff. Cause I'm like, Hey, whatever ends up on Twitter, it's going to end up in my, my PowerPoint, right? <laughs> and uh, he said, he's like, hey, if everybody saved $100 a month for 40 years at 12% in the stock market, you'll have you know, just over a million bucks. He's like, everybody should retire a millionaire. And I, and I showed my clients, I said, first and foremost, if he did the numbers right at 12%, it actually was 949,000. So he was off by like over 100,000 bucks. He, it, it, he, had to, like, he had to go 41.3 years to match with the numbers he was saying, right? So I don't know where he even got his numbers in the first place. He was wrong, but nobody assumes that. They just think, hey, he's the expert. Right. He should be right. It's Ramsey, yeah. It's Dave Ramsey. He's the god of finance, <laughs> you know? Like, it's like, no, he's, a, he's actually kind of an idiot in some cases. He's brilliant in one way. He's brilliant with the, the, the budgeting, everything else, but creating real wealth and creating millions, he is not. Like, yeah. that is not his forte. He's created millions from his business, but his, his investment, I mean, come on, he went bankrupt doing real estate which is why he's like, never do debt again, right? Which is dumb. If you're yeah. trying to create wealth, you got to have leverage. Yeah. So, so anyways, like I, I showed that to my clients. I said, well, what if you only got seven and a half percent? Oh, you got to minus out the fees. So you actually minus out, you know, 1% in fees because they never put that in that number because you never get the S&P 500 returns, right? You get S&P 500 minus the fees. So 1% is usually pretty typical, sometimes more. So, well, that leaves you with six and a half percent. You run the numbers out. You're like, wow, I might have maybe... 300,000 bucks, not over a million, like you said. So after 40 years, I got 300 grand. Well, now in 40 years, what's 300 grand really worth with inflation, real inflation? So that was another thing as a financial advisor. I was showing people two or 3% inflation. Well, (laughs) when I started running out real numbers, I'm like, 
I better not show any inflation because it's depressing. Like it looks horrible because now they look like they're, they're, they're becoming millionaires if they get there, right? If they save enough to become a millionaire. Well, the problem is now think about this. A good advisor will tell you nowadays to only love on maybe two or 3% a year, right? And, uh, and back in the days, they used to say 4%, but because people were living longer, that 4% rule is actually too short. People will run out of money if they live too long. So now they're saying 2 or 3%. Think about it. If you happen to save a million bucks, that means you're living on twenty dollars or $30,000 a year. You're in poverty. You're below the poverty line. Poverty line is right around 40000 or so, depending on your, your situation. You're living below the poverty line as a millionaire. You're a broke a millionaire, right? <laughs> like, wow. and that's and that and that started to really bug me, you know. And the turning point for me happened at the end of 2005 because um, I talked to a friend of mine that he actually left being a financial advisor to do real estate investing, and uh, and he told me he said, Chris, it, like, you know, I got I got to tell you, like, my life is awesome. Now I called him up to wish him Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, right after Christmas time, you know, um, and I was like. Hey Doug, like how you doing? He's like, man, life is awesome. Like my dad and I went, you know, you know my dad and I were in real estate, right? Like, yeah. I remember it's just four months prior, like back in August, he went into real estate with his dad. He's like, yeah, my dad has just doubled his income from what he's making as a professor at the local university. And I was like, bull crap. Like that's too good to be true. You're you're pulling my leg. He's like, no, I'm serious. He's actually doubled his income. I'm like, that's impossible. And I remember because I met with his dad, I was going to, he was going to invest with me, but because he went to real estate, he decided not to invest in me, which really pissed me off. Right. Because I'm like, dude, I've got the best thing in the world. You know, although again, those doubts were starting to creep in because of what I was learning. Right. But still I, I didn't know any other answer. And uh, he said, no, man, like it's legit. And I said, I was like, okay, that can't be true. And we went and got in this little debate back and forth. And finally he just stopped me. He said, Chris, listen, what principles are you teaching your clients? Well, what do you mean by principles? I, I, I don't, you talking about rule 72 with that compound interest? He's like, no, Chris, not even close. All right, Chris, I'll, I'll make it easy for you. How many of your clients are actually financially free where they don't worry about money? And I thought about it. And I was like, well, even those retired doctors are watching CNN freaking out. So they're not, if you're talking about free, no, they might have the resources, but they don't feel free. I'm like, well, none, none of them are financially free. He's like, well, good job, Chris. That's awesome. Way to go. <laughs> He's like, all right, Chris, if anybody's got this figured out, it should be you guys as financial advisors. How many of you guys are financially free? Not off the commissions you're making off people, but actually doing the investments you've been recommending. Because obviously, shouldn't you be practicing what you preach? And I thought about it. I was like, none? Maybe one guy might be. And I found out later that guy wasn't. Once he got laid off, he was scrambling to find work because he didn't have enough money. Because again, you can't live on 2 or 3% very easily, right? That was my goal, by the way, was save up $2 million, live on like, you know, 50000 a year or so, right? But, you know, that's the thing is like to save that up, like I had to scrimp and save. I was hoping by the time I was 40, I could retire. And he's like, no, like it hasn't worked for any of you guys. And, and I remember some of those guys have been working since the late 70s, like mid to late 70s, these guys have been financial advisors and none of them were financially free from actual investments that they were recommending everybody else do. I'm like, well, dang, if they can't do it in 30 or 40 years, why would anybody else? And that's where I was like, all right, fine. You got my attention. What's the answer then? He's like, I'm not going to tell you the answer. I'm like, dude, you just got me to admit I'm wrong. 
please, like, you got it. You got. You can't leave me hanging here. He's like, honestly, I really don't think you'll even care to find the answer. Chris, before we get to the answer, I, I just want to, I want to sit in this for a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, you've summed up. I remember when I started this podcast about three years ago, you know, this is probably going to be episode in the one fifties and I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs and millionaires from all over the world. And I haven't yet had, I remember the, I think it was episode two or episode three. I brought on a financial advisor. His name was a uh, Brent Sutherland. I kind of walked, we kind of walked through this, this process and we kind of like mm-hmm. bunked a lot of myths similar to what we're doing here. But this yeah. is the first time where I've had somebody succinctly like, target every single pain point that I know for sure people go through with financial advisors that that's going on overall in the industry. And I love that we're able to kind of expose the, the actual truth. And, yeah. but it, it, it brings to me a bigger question than that. How is popular media? How is propaganda? How is, how is the entire world operating with this belief and how hasn't, like, how are we not able to get this information out to everybody that needs to know this? Like that, like that industry is humongous. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about this back in 2005, things that this is 2020 and things have not changed. Why is the right information not out there? You know, it is, but the voices are so big. There's so many billions and billions of dollars being pumped into marketing from financial institutions, right? Because, I mean, really think back. If you think back to what financial institutions really want, they want your money. You know, why do they want your money? Because that's where they create cash flow, right? They create guaranteed things. You know, like, like the myth of high risk creates high returns. You know, we've been told that for how, how many years? Like forever, right? Like, you know, if you want better returns, you got to take higher risk. Oh, my God. So, I, um, I really hate that quote. Oh, I do too. Like, I, I actually personally believe as an investor, low risk creates higher returns, right? Because... It's a return of my money and then a return on it in that order of, the, of priority. And uh, they always tell you high risk creates high returns. So, hey, if you want to make high returns, gamble more in the market. Well, here's the thing. Um, as a financial advisor, I used to tell people banks and financial institutions are the biggest investors in the stock market. That's a half truth. Yes, they're pumping money in, but they're not pumping their own money in. They're pumping your money in there, right? So, they're creating that little prophecy there. But the truth is they make their guaranteed returns by charging you that one or 2% or whatever they're charging you on those funds. And that's underneath. That's, that's the net. You know, nobody realized that when you get a return on your statement saying, here's what you made, that's before they say, great, now we're taking out our little management fees. Even in a 401k, more, in fact, 401ks have more fees than most mutual funds, you know? So, so obviously like this information is out there. That's what I've been trying to do on my, my Chris miles money show that I have my podcast, right. Is, is dispel these myths. But I'll tell you, man, like when you've got billions of dollars of marketing from institutions that are humongous saying, Hey, this is a way is put your money here, save it forever, save as much as you can. They used to say 10%, but then they realized, Oh, 10% is not enough because the numbers don't work out. So save 20. And now they're saying, let's just save as much as you can. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you need that miracle of compound interest. So let it stay in there forever and then take as little out as possible in retirement, right? So it can let the money last. Now think about this from a cash flow investor standpoint. If you were a business, obviously, what do you want your business to do? You want it to keep paying you forever, right? So why not have increasing assets keep going in? And then even when you're going to be pulling assets out, then say, no, 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 take out less than the interest. Don't take out everything because you might run out of money. So take out less. That's, think about it. If you make 1% fee on all that money there, 1% on a, you know, even a trillion dollars, 
is, you know, $10 billion a year. That's awesome cash flow, right? So if you can tell people, hey, don't touch that money, you know, let it compound. In fact, Einstein said it's the eighth one of the world, which by the way, I looked it up. Einstein never said that. Yeah. Like he was talking about compounding numbers, had nothing to do with finances and money and interest that way. <laughs> he was talking about science or math, right? He wasn't talking about that. But hey, if you look on websites, everybody quotes Einstein is saying it's the eighth one of the world from it's always been financial advisor websites and network marketing companies. They'll say that, right? Yeah. It's that's it. So think about, I mean, they, they have a vested interest in telling you to buy into this crap as I call an accumulation mindset, an accumulation theory with money, right? Which is accumulate it, let it grow, then live on less than the interest. I believe the opposite is true, which is I'd rather be the bank. I'd rather be those financial institutions. So, so when you, when you got, when you came to this belief, I want to get back into the story with your friend. When yeah. you came to this belief, kind of walk us back through that story. And you know, you were like, these are all the things I believed before. And your friend was like, no, like this is not true for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. What was the next shift? What did he, what did he finally reveal to you that had you thinking about a different course? So he, you know how he said, he's like, I, I won't tell you the answer. And he's like, well, I don't believe you'll actually do this, but go check out two things. He said, one, check out the book, Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki, which is a lesser known rich dad book, right? Um, but that one just trashes the heck out of mutual funds. <laughs> now, what, what he may, he might have realized at the time, but I actually dropped my securities license that year because I realized, I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I'm a big fan of mutual funds anymore. I think you could do better, but I didn't have the answer. So I dropped my, my securities license and said, all right, I'll keep my life insurance license and that kind of thing. And I was teaching more people to do things like, like fixed type of accounts, right? Or indexed accounts and things like that. Well, I got that book. I got the audio book, to be honest. And then I listened to it in three hours. So it was done within a day. Um, and I acknowledged, I'm like, okay, Kiyosaki makes great points in there. I get it. And then he says, Chris, now listen to this radio show, this local radio show that was on there with these two guys that are real estate investors. And the funny thing is those real estate investors taught nothing about the strategies. All they taught were principles, you know, including some of the stuff we've already talked about today. They would address high risk rates, high returns. They're like, that's not a true principle. When is the 90% chance of losing create a 90% chance of winning? Mm. You know, the math doesn't add up, right? 90% chance of losing means you have a 10% chance of winning. That does not create higher returns, you know? Yep. Um, that just doesn't happen. And so they start bringing that stuff out. They start bringing up like dollars following value. You know, like it's actually how you go about creating value for people that money is a natural byproduct because there's exchange. Exchange creates wealth between people. How fast is the rate of exchange and, and all that kind of stuff they were teaching. And they had like these 13 principles and they were much more complex than I'm saying. I'm dumbing them down because that was the one thing they did wrong. They were way too complex and, and philosophical with it, but it worked. And for me, so remember it was end of December. I'm talking to him. January, I'm starting to listen to the radio show. March, I go to one of their their uh, seminars, right? And I only went one night. And I remember they even asked, they said, hey, we're going to talk about these myths. They're like, and they started ripping on mutual funds and, and you know, what actual truth is, just like I'd already mentioned earlier, right? All those same kind of things. And they're like, oh man, this is horrible. I hope there's no financial advisors in the room. Any financial advisors in the room? They're raising their hands up to see if anybody will volunteer it. And there's a hundred people in the room and I almost raised my hand. But when I realized mine was the only hand starting to go up, I quickly put it down. I was like, I cannot be outed here. And my friend Doug was actually sitting across the table, like grinning from ear to ear because he's like, that's you, man. <laughs> now, what's crazy is over this, you know, two or three months, right? 
um, I actually stopped going to the trainings. I stopped being brainwashed. And funny enough, my financial advising business actually started growing, even though I didn't have an answer. And I try to find every way possible to make it work, make the two worlds work together. But I, after a while, I realized this isn't going to work. And so that weekend, I, I went back to the office that next Monday and I put in my resignation. I said, I'm done. I can't teach this stuff anymore. And they're like, wow, we're shocked. I mean, you've been through thick and thin. I mean, you're at the point where now your business is at its best and you're quitting after four years. I said, yep, I'm done. And uh, I was like, all right, now what? And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my time? I said, all right, I'll keep, I'll, I'm a mortgage broker as well. So I'll continue being a mortgage broker. Um, I'll keep teaching about stock. You know, I was actually teaching people how to trade stocks and options on the side. And I will teach ballroom dancing, you know, so um, little known fact, I actually was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers. So, uh, so I was like, you know, I'll keep doing that. I was helping out the local university and teaching their, their students and creating dance routines and things like that. So I'm like, I'll keep doing that stuff because I love that. So so I'm 28 years old. I'm like, all right, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Well, at this point, I, I was like, all right, I got to figure out what these guys know because now it drove me nuts, right? Now it's the next step is, all right, I'm not a financial advisor, but how do I get the wealth of these guys? Because these guys are in their 20s and 30s and they're financially free. I want to be there too. And it drives me nuts. They know something I don't. So I started to seek them out and started to try to get mentored by them. And the funny thing is, and again, I'm, I'm skipping over a few months, but just to kind of tell you the end result is after a few months and some ideas they gave me, I'm like, crap, I actually have residual or passive streams of income that actually replace my expenses, which were only at that time, 4,000 bucks a month. So it was really not hard to gather rat race. But I realized I'm like, dang, I'm working like three or four hours a week. And I'm making four or 5,000 a month in residual stuff. I'm like, you know, I want to be like the staples, you know, the easy buttons, like that was easy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like that, you know, and, and it blew my mind, it was possible. And I didn't have millions of dollars. That's what blew my mind more. I was like, this is not about accumulating money. This is about how do you generate cash flow, passive or residual income that can replace or at least pay for your expenses. So any active income you make is just gravy, which is what happened to me. Because now I was like, I don't know what to do with my time. I'm 28 years old. Every friend I have works a job. (laughs) So I guess I'll keep stock coaching. So I was making like 6,000 a month as a stock coach and that was all extra gravy on top of the four or 5,000 a month I was making residually. And that was a, and that was the cool thing. You know, you told me on your show that you went bankrupt. You told me you retired twice. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the first retirement. Yep. So that was the first retirement, right? Um, and that first retirement was really residual streams of income to get very specific. Um, what it was, it was, it was, it was weird because I quit being a financial advisor. Right. But as I started to learn these principles, my countenance changed. You know, like the, I, I, I was happier. I was energetic because when I started to see what you could do with real estate investing and things like that, like my whole world changed. When I realized, wait a minute, what happens if you actually get a 12% cash on cash return? You know, I was like, whoa, like that's <laughs> incredible. Like, because remember I was talking about living on 3%, right? Of whatever money you have versus 12, even 12%. It's like, that's four times. That means you can have four times less money to have the same income stream. And now all of a sudden, like people's situations I had dealt with, even my own debt father, right? I was like, he's got a house that's paid off. What if he cashed that money out, invested it? He can not only pay his mortgage payment, but he would have extra. That's an infinite rate of return. And these are things I was starting to learn and understand from these guys, right? Was 
about leverage and thinking more like an investor and a business owner. And so naturally, I'm like freaking excited. And, and I haven't made any money yet. I was just excited, like learning this stuff. Well, people started looking at me and saying, there's something different about you. Like, what's going on? I was like, let me tell you what I'm learning. And so they started to seek me for financial advice, even though I quit being a financial advisor. And they're like, well, are you a financial advisor? I'm like, no, no, I don't do that stuff anymore. I was a liar and a deceiver. I can't be, I can't go back there, you know? And, uh, but they're like, well, who can I, you know, like, how do I learn this stuff? So I connected to that radio show, right? And stuff. But here's what's interesting is that, you know, one of those mentors, he's like, Chris, do you like doing mortgages? You know, cause you're doing that actively right now. Do you like doing them? And I said, I like teaching about them, but I hate the paperwork. He said, well, why don't you find somebody that does the paperwork and split it 50-50? I'm like, wait, I can do that. Now, in a scarcity world where I was as a financial advisor, I didn't want to split anything, right? I wanted to take it all. Like, I want to be the do-it-yourselfer, right? Mm-hmm. When he said that, I was like, that's a great idea. Like, in an abundance world, I, that's great because now I can connect people with somebody that can help me do the job still. And as long as they do a great job, my client's going to be happy. They're going to, the person I connect them with, the, the mortgage guy is going to be happy because he's sharing in the wealth, but I'm going to be happy because I get split. I don't have to do all the work, you know? And so I would teach them for like a half an hour to an hour, say, here's the kind of mortgage you can do in your situation. And then pass them on to that guy to start doing the application. Mm-hmm. And what, and then the next thing I know a month or a month, and a half later, I'm getting a check for like a thousand or 1500 bucks. I'm like, that's an awesome rate per hour. Yeah. You know, I was like, and, and that was just natural organic people. I was doing zero advertising. In fact, I was unadvertising. I was trying to like push people away from me, but they kept seeking me out. And then they would refer their friends to me too. They're like, what Chris is teaching is just mind blowing. You got to check this out. And, and so what ended up happening is just from a few referrals a month, I'm like, you know, and, and not just there. I was like, hey, I could do this with a jeweler, a wholesale jeweler in town. I did it with another, you know, couple businesses and stuff like that, where I was like, they, people say, hey, do you know someone who does blank? I was like, yes. And then I asked that business owner, hey, would you cut me in on a deal if I sent you referrals? And they're like, yeah, of course. And so I had like four different referral sources that were paying me. And that's where I started making four or 5,000 a month. Even, even, and at the same time as I'm doing that, now I'm starting to build my real estate portfolio too, right? Which um, here's what, you know, that's kind of where, ha- where I start getting two different types of income, right? Residual and passive. I, I say passive for investments, residual for business, things like that, right? And, uh, and it blew my mind just how easy it was. Um, because it was, it really, it was almost by accident. I mean, it was all based on principles and, and having those strategies aligned with principles, but it, it was like, this just seemed too freaking easy. Yeah. Now you mentioned about like, when did it turn, you know, reverse, right? Well, uh, end of, you know, so 2006 ends, I started like looking at other things to do because I was getting bored. Right. Because now I'm like, I can retire what's my next phase of my life at 28, you know? And so I started looking at things like looking at opening a dance studio and things like that. Or I almost bought an old movie theater because I saw the movie, the majestic with Jim Carrey. And um, I thought I should buy a movie theater and turn it around. And then I saw the renovation costs. I'm like quarter million. No, thank you. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to touch that. That's too much work. Um, but some kept telling me like, don't do these things. Right. Like every time I would about get to the signing table, I'm like, ah, it doesn't feel right. And finally, at the end of 2006, one of, one of the guys was mentoring me. He says, listen, um, I'm actually partnering up with this other guy. And I told him I wouldn't be a partner with him unless you came with us. And, uh, and this guy is going to teach some awesome stuff. In fact, he, right now, if you want to know who it is, it's Garrett Gunderson. He has a great book out there called Killing Sacred Cows. Um, 
he's like, Hey, we're going to start a company together. And I told him, I won't come on unless you come with me. I was like, okay, well, I'll check it out. Well, we, we meet and they're like, yeah, you're going to work out of an office again. You're going to have to like, you know, dress in a suit sometimes like, Oh, that sucks. You know, like it's horrible, but still something resonated with me. I was like, I feel like there's a mission to do this. And, and the only people he invited were people that got out of the rat race themselves, right? People are actually living it. So we did. So I, I joined up with them and we started working together. And then they said, Hey, Chris, all these other streams of income you have, you need to focus and cut them off. So mistake number one is I started cutting off streams of income to be a quote unquote team player, right? Um, Cause they was like, we want you focused here. I'm like, I don't know why I painted myself into a job, right? Like I, I love the mission so much and I bought into it so much. I'm like, I was willing to be stupid, you know? And so I cut off all these streams of income. And, uh, and then of course I had my real estate, but again, my real estate, because I was making so much income, I wasn't focused on the cash flow. I was just like, Hey, cool. Take it, milk out all the equity and invest and just keep building. Right. And, but I, I had like negative cash flow properties, but I was like, it doesn't matter because I'm investing, I'm making more and it's just moving money super fast. Wow. Well, when the recession hit, it's like sticking a, stick in the bicycle spokes and you flip over the handlebars, right? Yeah. It was kind of like that. Like all of a sudden things came to a halt. And by the way, the people we were teaching that the, the market that we we're focused on were all real estate investors. Yeah. So we're focused on real estate investors. I cut off my streams of income. So that becomes my active mainstream of income. Well, these real estate investors by the middle of 2007, summer of 2007, they can't pay because all of a sudden they can't get money out of their properties, right? The, the selling is slowed down and everything else are locked up. And then on top of that, my own real estate, I'm trying to get money out of it. I'm like, well, maybe I should sell this stuff off at the high of the market or cash out refinance. At that time, banks were saying, nope, sorry, we stopped doing cash out refinances for business owners. So too bad. And this is all before things really hit the fan with Lehman Brothers and everything, right? And so I went from what was like millionaire to upside down millionaire, meaning I was like, you know, doing amazing, had over million plus in assets to now in the hole, upside down in debt especially after charging up credit cards and everything else, I was in the hole like about over a million bucks of total debt. And I was like, this sucks. You know, I was in the hole 16,000 a month. That's how much I was leaking between my business and my personal life. And, uh, and that's when I had to really get scrappy, right? Because I had no money, no credit. I had to rebuild. And so I started, I I couldn't teach people how to be out of the rat race anymore. I can't teach something I'm not currently doing. That's just my rule, you know? So I stopped teaching people how to get out of the rat race and I started switching up to getting creative, getting resourceful and finding money. Because if there was anything I was doing, I wasn't telling this to the clients at the time because I was broke as I was broker than any of my clients, right? <laughs> you know, I was in the hole more than any of them. You know, even the struggles they had were simple in my eyes, which was a benefit for them because I could see their situation and say, oh, you're not that far off. Oh, you're in the hole 2000 bucks a month. That's nothing. Let's reverse that, you know? Because I was having to do from 16000 a month, right? Um, and so, you know, first thing I was teaching them was like tracking their money and start to actually look at it from a steward perspective, being a steward, not just a saver or a spender, but a steward where you're saying, how can I make the most of my income and be efficient with my expenses too, right? Looking at both sides of the equation and looking at that and how can they be creative and how can we get money out? Can we sell things off? Can we do this or that? And where's this hidden money? And and we started to do that and refinancing people's debts and things of that nature, like I was doing myself. And uh, it was cool because then they started to free up on average, like, and even saving on taxes, it free up like 34,000 a year, you know, in the first year alone. And that increases year after year. Right. And, uh, and, and that's what, funny enough, that actually reversed my business by 2009, my business started to turn around 
And I started turning around that, that business I was in with those partners. Um, we were almost bankrupt by 2009, but by the end of it, all of a sudden there's this skyrocket. And by, we went from like almost bankrupt to like 2010, we did over like $5 million of business, you know, just in that one year. And it was just exploding, you know, especially among chiropractors and dentists. And all that was because I was going through my pain, which was becoming other people's gain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and of course, because of that, then, you know, I'm making more money and, and I'm, again, being a wise steward, trying to figure out like, okay, how to pay off these loans, which loans do I pay off? Because you don't just pay off any loan. You got to be very strategic. Right. And so I was paying off loans and collections. And by the way, I mean, I was going through those two years, a uh, year and a half, horrible times with collector calls every single day, <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't know if we want to go into that, you know, in depth, but, uh, it was, it was incredible having to try to mentally, get myself in a place positive enough to actually function without going deep into depression. Cause I mean, my wife at that time was threatening to leave and take the kids, oh. you know, credit creditors were calling every day. I had no answer, no money for them. You know, like it was, it was tough. Um, but I'll tell you like in that, that next three and a half years, I paid off over 900,000 of that debt, just those three and a half years alone, you know? And then after that got to the point where just three years ago, a little over three years ago, I could now look and I, now I have, multiple streams of income done the right way <laughs> where, uh, you know, now it's like, you know, I have to have about 15, 20 grand a month to stay out of the rat race, you know, but I was able to hit that a little over three years ago, again, building from the beginning, you know? And so when someone says, Hey, is it possible for me? The truth is, yeah, there's hope. Always hope. Yeah. 100% man. So many, so many lessons in there, Chris. I mean, it's very hard to just pinpoint one, but after that first retirement, you, you pinpointed the fact that you made a few mistakes by letting go of your income streams. It wasn't necessarily how you built your income, but it was what you did after you built your income. This second time around, you built your income stream in a very similar fashion. Um, Mm -hmm. but again, you knew that you didn't want to go through the experience that you went through before. And you also knew Mm -hmm. that you had a lot at stake that you needed to pay down. So that was a chip on your shoulder. And I'm just trying to imagine your mental stability through that process, knowing that you have all these things up against you, not only things financially up against you, but also at the, at the house, like, you know, your wife is threatening to leave and things of that nature. How did you wake up, get out of bed every morning? What was your ultimate inspiration? What gave you drive rather than going to the bar? What was that for you? Because many people, I can see many people going left rather than going right. You know, I, I, it, it's all about the mindset, right? I mean, when it comes down to real wealth, your, your perspective has more of an impact than your money does. Because money is, is just a, a tool used by the, by the, wheel, the person that wields it, right? Um, so the perspective, one of the big perspectives I had was, I, I know there are no accidents. I believe in that law of synchronization, right? Law of synchronicity. You know, some people might call it serendipity, Right where there are no accidents in the universe. Everything happens for a reason. And even though I didn't know what it was at the time, I said, you know what? I know this is happening for a reason. And I thought, maybe it's just for me to prove that I can do it a second time. Maybe I can get out of the rat race a second time and just prove that what I teach actually works. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't just because of the market in 2006 that helped me along, but maybe it's actually legit. Maybe these things really work. And I, I was like, I, I, I don't, and I, I was trying to force things, right? I, that was another problem I had is I was trying to force, make things happen, quote unquote, you know, as Tony Robbins would say. And that was like the most destructive thing too, because, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I, I just can't make anything happen anymore, you know? And, uh, but when I, I went back to that perspective of, okay, there's a reason for this. Even if I help one person to, to inspire them in their life, that makes it all worthwhile. 
So I, I would try to look for the end. I would try to look at that vision beyond the hardship, right? I was like, what is this big purpose? Like when I look back, I'm going to say, man, that sucked. But here's, here's, here's how it really benefited me, right? Not just me, but it can benefit other people. So I was really doing that. And so I try to be in a place where I create gratitude. So I would, I would try to be grateful for everything. That was one thing I learned from, uh, even though I don't necessarily like a lot of his stuff, um, Donald Trump, he had a book called Never Give Up, right? Um, there's two books that inspired me that, that towards the end when I started to pull out, out, back out of it. Never Give Up was one of them. And then the other one was, was a book by uh, one of my friends, Greg Reed and Sharon Lecter, called Three Feet from Gold. And that one was awesome. And uh, between those two, one of the things I learned to never give up from Trump is he said, even if there was 20 negative things, he would find the one positive. And so I, some days it was like, I'm breathing. That's it. You know, and, and, and I'll tell you, the one thing I did, did is I try to create a win at the beginning of the day. Um, so like, for example, when I, when I woke up, you know, like I, I would, we talked about this before we went on the air, right? I wake up, I work out, you know, I was like, I can at least get a win on the, on the winner's board, you know? So how can I work out every day? Can I meditate, pray, read scriptures? And, you know, you, you probably will ask me like, what's the biggest book that would influence me? It's the Holy scriptures. Like that's been the number one book for my personal development. And I would go to that and use that to inspire me, you know, um, all these kind of things that would help me out. Um, and then at least get a win. And then I would picture winning too. I would picture like when I won ballroom dance competitions and how that felt. And I would try to translate that into my business, even though I felt like a complete and utter loser. I would try to say, well, at least I win here. Or I play a video game sometimes. I like play this game NBA Jam. Like I would play that, kick the crap out of the other teams. Like, oh, all right, I feel win. Now go back. Like you can't just live in that world. You got to be able to step back in your own world. But translating it into the other world of that feeling of winning, moving back in. And I would just try to carry that emotion with me. And uh, and I'll tell you, like, again, I'm dumbing it down a lot because there was so much that happened that year and a half of of struggle. And really the years that followed that were struggle just to dig back out of that hole. But um, but those were like the main things right there is understand that there are no accidents, feeling gratitude, even if it's for little things, right? Just finding that gratitude and just knowing that there's going to be a way out. And and I'll tell you, when it changed for me was when I said, you know what, I don't think if it take I don't care if it takes 20 years. I got this place of submission, right? Where I just said, if it takes 20 years, it doesn't matter. I will live these principles no matter how long it takes. If it's tomorrow or 20 years. And I'll tell you, there was a time just before I, I started to see the reversal. I remember my, my wife at that time, you know, we're divorced now, but we had a fight. She's like, when are we going to get out of this? This has been going on forever. Like, you know, she's like, I hate this. And I was like, you know what? There's going to be a moment where I say, I told you so. And I like went out and slammed the door and drove off, right? Well, it was like two months later that things started to reverse because I was like, I just know what's going to happen. And that's what I told her. I was like, I just know it. I feel it in my bones. That's going to reverse soon. And it did. And then that two months later, I said, you remember that time we had that fight? And you, and I, you said, you started you know, having doubts. And I said, there's going to be a moment I say, I told you so. And she looks at me like, yeah, I won't say it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, and again, I've always come back to that. No matter what struggles I went through, even when I went through a divorce, that was like another low emotionally that was harder than going a million dollars in debt. But all that came back to is doing that, focusing on creating value for people and always just trying to be a servant and, and remembering that you're going to come out on the other side stronger, right? And if it hits you harder, just like when, you know, Rocky's getting hit by Mr. T, he's like, that ain't so bad. That ain't so bad. It's like, cool. Like the harder it hits you, the harder you know you'll get stronger. Because with every seed of adversity, there's a seed of an equal or greater opportunity, as Napoleon Hill says. 
And that's the thing you have to really have faith in is that, that principle. I love that. I love that. Man, Chris, this has been an amazing podcast episode. I have one last and final question before we get to the last round. Yeah. And I just want you to give some advice to a, a young entrepreneur or a young business owner um, who, or let's even talk about those, those who are moonlighting right now. They have a full-time job and they're trying to you know, build their portfolio or build their business on the side. And they're really struggling to figure out what's the next step as far as how to proceed financially as they grow their business and how, as they try to build wealth through some of these passive vehicles that uh, we've touched on today. So mm-hmm. let's just say this person has 20 to 30 or 10 to $30,000 in their 401k and their bank accounts, you know, amongst different assets. And, you know, it's time for them to make a change. They no longer want to invest in the stock market. They no longer want to get these 7% returns. They want to actually make sure that their money is working for them in the best and most efficient way possible. I know that it's not something that you could answer in one sitting. It may take a few hours, a few sittings over over time. But if you were to just kind of give a general North Star, um, what would that look like for that individual? You know, it's pretty, I mean, blanket advice, of course, right? It always depends on the situation. But I'll tell you, um, first thing is, like you said, if, if you're questioning the stock market, well, stop, stop putting faith in it. You know, stop putting more money towards it. Like anybody who's young, especially if they're in their 30s or 40s, and I say, well, when do you want to retire or have that financial freedom? Well, by the time I'm 40 or 50 or 45 or whatever it might be, right? It's like, well, why are you putting more money in something that you have to wait till you're 60 to touch, like a 401k? And even with the match, and I've proved it many times to the numbers. And uh, I mean, you can always go to my show to, to learn more about that, but you, you run the numbers. A 401k match isn't that impactful. It doesn't do that much. That free money that they're trying to sell you on that bill of goods isn't that great? Drill, drill down into that. Tell me, tell me, give me a specific example of why you believe that. Because I think a lot of people believe the, the opposite. So I want to debunk this as well. Yeah. I mean, so for example, um, like the 401k, the match, right? The, yeah. Say they give you a hundred percent match, the best case scenario on a certain amount of your money. The thing is that match, people say that's a hundred percent return. Well, here's the thing. Go to a, an interest calculator, like calculator.net and just put in, say, Hey, I'm putting in, you know, 5,000 a year. And hey, I'm going to put 100% return every year, putting in 5,000 a year and see how many millions and millions of dollars you have in 20 years. I guarantee you, you'll never have millions of dollars. It's not a true 100% return. It's only 100% on the new money. And that's before you have taxes taken out, right? But the longer you have a 401k, they're not matching all the money. They're just matching the money you're putting in. They're just doubling the money you're putting in, which only means that the end result number compared to what you could have been doing, it's just double. So if you would have normally made 500,000 after 30 years with a match at hundred percent, you would just have a million dollars. Well, you look at the average return after 30 years. That's only like saying I made an extra 2.3%, wow. not a hundred percent, but 2.3. So if your stock market only averaged you after fees, 6%, that means, okay, maybe I got up over 8%. Well, that's not enough guys wow. versus taking that money you put into it. I know that's a lot of numbers, but again, oh, it makes sense. broken down in other places, Yeah, but you know, but again, doing real estate, Within the first deal or two, you can actually exceed the cash flow you create versus income you pull off from your 401k, pulling off 3% of the total amount. It, it's, the cash flow is just uncomparable when you do things like real estate investing. So uh, that's why I tell people, even if you don't get the match, you can still, within the first year or two, beat anything your 401k can do. And it's exponentially better from that point on. Like it's a, If you understand the numbers, it's a no-brainer that you're like, why am I putting money here? And especially if I have a goal to retire sooner, why would I put money in something that doesn't meet my goal, my objective? 
That's, that's insanity just because everybody else does it. And let's, let's be honest. The rest of America is not financially free. They're broke, really broke. You know, so why would we keep doing the same things they've always done? You got to do some, almost do the opposite. You have better chances of success. Yeah, 100%. And I have a certain philosophy on how I believe people should get started in real estate, but I'm learning so much today. So I want to learn what your philosophy is. I mean, there's so many different ways to get into real estate, whether passive side, you're on the active side, you're on the mm-hmm. semi passive side, and uh, whether you're managing units or you're, you're investing in a fund or whether you're taking down deals. I mean, whether you're investing or you're actually flipping, you have a real estate business. How does one how does one just kind of, you know, look at the terrain and, and kind of decide where to put their footing? What do you, what, what kind of advice do you give for, for the people? You're like, Hey, let, yes, go into real estate. But what does that mean for different people? You know, it really does mean like one, you got to learn and just understand it. Like for you to have faith in what's being taught. I mean, just understand there's millions of people doing this already, right? Like out of 300 million people in America, there's still at least a few million people doing the same thing, you know? And they're creating wealth. I think you even said on my show that it's the one place where people have been proven to become millionaires is through real estate, right? Um, and then from there is align yourself with someone you feel like can help you get there. You know, it might be someone who's a, an investor in real estate that says, hey, I've got a fund. Maybe you start there. You know, maybe you get the education and training. At some point, you're going to have to say, I'm going to start having to pay somebody to teach me how to do this so I don't just mess up on my own just listening to podcasts and reading books because you'll never get it that way. You need, really need a mentor to help get you there. Otherwise, you're just gonna you're gonna bomb, and it's gonna cost you way more money than the education will cost you. Because I always tell people, if you, if you think education is expensive, ignorance is way more expensive. Doing it wrong will cost you time and money. You know, where at least doing it right will cost you some money and a lot less time, and just shorten that time frame to create better results. I love that, Chris. This has been this has been phenomenal. I think that um, I have to go back and listen to this episode a few times. The listeners have been mind blown. They've learned so much about that just just that professional journey, right? Just having a W two job and, and knowing what's at stake and what what risk actually is. Um, I, I say it all the time that you know real estate is perceived risk, whereas what you're doing on a day to day basis with your W two job is actually risky, right? If you understand the numbers behind what you're doing as far as real estate goes, you minimize the risk. You know, uh, said Donald Trump, uh, Warren Buffett's number one rule is never lose money, right? You you highlighted in the very beginning of this episode that hey, you lose fifty percent of your money, you have to make a one hundred percent return to get that back, and that's why that rule is yeah. so 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 vital. Um, so risk, uh, risk is in the eye of the beholder, right? And uh, if right. you understand how much you're actually risking, I think that you'd make a lot of these changes and switches uh, almost immediately. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? Oh, I mentioned it, the Holy Scriptures, man. Like, if you understand the principles and like the Bible and things like that, you know, whatever it is, like that for me has been life-changing. When I started to take abundance mindset with that, it's like, crap, there's truths in here that I never saw before. So that's definitely the place I go. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. I would say Mint. You know, like Mint has been great because it's, it's a great way to track your money, the income and the expenses. Like I mentioned, being a steward. Um, but it makes it so easy for me to track. I know everybody's different in how they do it, but for me personally, that was like, the thing that got me back on track and said, all right, I got to get my money under control and be that master of my money versus the money mastering me. I love that. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I love the fact that I can work still part-time 
and have what some people consider like an overtime income. You know, like um, I love that. I love creating the leverage. Um, I, I give my wife a lot of the credit, you know, for getting me this kind of expand my mind and get out of it. Right. Um, I mean, we even go snowbird every winter, which is awesome. I just got back from Arizona and, you know, we were thawing out there before we came back and froze again in Utah, you know, for the rest right. of the winter and stuff. And that kind of stuff, just, just being able to live by choice um, and live, you know, with so much less stress than I ever experienced before is, is just, it's hard to describe. It's just something you have to be there and experience. Yeah, I love that. Going back to Mint being your lifestyle design app, I want to kind of go back to, again, this is just a, a, a brief interjection in our uh, lifestyle design questions, but I think it's important. When you tackled, you know, over $1 million plus in debt and um, any other time that you had to kind of face a feat like that and try to build up your passive income, what is your philosophy for paying down debt and also putting uh, and also investing money to build up your, pa- your monthly passive cash flow? How do you go about that process? Is it one before the other? Is it simultaneously? Is it based on the interest rate? Like what's your, what's your overall philosophy there? Always based on cash flow. Like, what is it costing me per month? Or, or another way to say it is, how can I invest this money, right? Invest. Even if I go and pay off a loan, um, what kind of cash flow will it create? Um, and so I have, a, I have a, a formula I use called the cash flow index, which helps me prioritize which debts are most powerful to pay off versus investing. Because when I, I learned this in 2008, because I was playing uh, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow 202 game, because mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out, like, there's got to be something I'm missing here, right? And I'm like, I got limited funds left. Do I pay off a debt or do I invest it? Well, I started to realize like even paying off debt sometimes could actually um, get you out of the rat race faster. And so, but I started to kind of put it to a formula and make it even, right? Even the playing field. And I have a podcast just on that subject alone. But to give you an example, I had a client that he came to me recently. He says, Chris, I'm inheriting $200,000. I only make about 40000 a year. Um, I want to make this money create passive income so I can actually retire or choose to work because I want to, not because I have to. I said, cool. All right, well, let's look at that. Like 200,000, like easily we can make at least 20, 24,000, 25,000 a year. Piece of cake, right? Well, uh, I see his whole situation and I start to see some of the credit cards and stuff he had. And I said, you know what? Here's the specific ones we should pay off. Take 50,000 of your money, pay off these credit cards, you'll free up 1,775 bucks a month. So almost 1,800 bucks a month. I was like, because even if you did like turnkey real estate with this, turnkey real estate with 50 grand, maybe you might make 500 bucks a month. But doing this, you'll make at least triple the cash flow paying off your loans. So let's pay these suckers off. Then take the other 150,000, invest in real estate or whatever else he wants to do, notes or whatnot. That'll create at least another 1,400 a month. Voila. Um, now we're creating about, you know, really almost, 40 grand a year just by doing that, you know? And, and that was like, to me, to me, I was like, dude, even if you want to go above and beyond the mark, just to make sure you made it out of the rat race, but then four years, you'll be there just reinvesting the cash flow. Yeah. And uh, he's I've, like, cool. <laughs> I've actually never heard that take. And I think now that I've heard it, I haven't even had a chance to process it yet, but I think that is the best take ever to, to go about that process. The game really just set that tone for you. Like, Hey, this makes the most sense. Yeah, it was just a, a, after night after night, staying up way too late, playing cash flow 202. It's like it finally clicked. I was like, wait a minute, what's the best way to yeah. you know, do it? I was, it wasn't about the interest rate. In fact, I tell people to ignore the interest rate on their debts because it's not that big of a factor. It's always about what's it costing you? Or in other words, how can I use as little money as possible to create as much cash flow as possible, whether it be on the passive income side or freeze up cash from the monthly payment? 
That's the key. I love that. I even said the smartest way to go about it is the interest rate because that was the best information I had at the time. And now mm-hmm. I, this one conversation is totally changed my perspective on that. I think this is the best way to go. Uh, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? <sighs> patience. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's about patience. And, and really, I guess if you go back to that story in the beginning about me switching from a, as being a financial advisor to now the anti-financial advisor is really sacrifice my ego. Like sacrifice everything I thought I knew was true and be open to maybe what I thought was true actually isn't. And how soon do I want to know about it? So really get rid of the ego, getting rid of what I think truth is and actually seeking truth, something that really works. I love that. And that that can be applied everywhere, ladies and gents. Mm -hmm. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Uh, It was actually those guys on the radio show. I'll I'll attribute a lot to them because uh, um, one of them actually died in a plane wreck later that year. Um, his name was Les McGuire. Uh, he never got popular. You know, he was just a local, not even a celebrity. He was just starting to become one. And then he got in a plane wreck later that June. Um, and that inspired me actually going to his funeral and seeing all the people that were there gathered and how he made a difference in their life and how he impacted my life. He didn't even know it really. Um, that's where I was like, man, that's what I want my legacy in my life to be is something that actually really blesses people's lives. And in fact, I remember I came home from that funeral that day, canceled all my appointments, and I just sat with my wife and I said, I, I feel like my life's got to be something more. And that's why I spent the next six months searching, like, do I open up a dance studio? Do I do something different? What is it? And, and it led me down this path to where I am today. You know, now, you know, almost 15 years later, here I am teaching the stuff that he was trying to do and, and doing it on a bigger scale. I love that. I love that. I love that. Why do you think so many of us are stuck? for the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? There's a lot of reasons. Most of the time, it usually comes down to emotions and past experiences, past trials, right? Like for example, for me, it was hard for me to start doing real estate investing after that last experience, you know, because I had some hard times during that recession. Um, I had to build that faith up again. And so recognizing, understanding where your, your mental or emotional limitations are and questioning and saying, okay, can I get past this? Even if it means I have to tiptoe into it to gain that faith and create a new experience, doing something like that, it really does require faith to get past your old belief systems. 100%, 100%. Chris, this is an amazing podcast episode. I cannot wait to get this out to the listeners. If they want to learn a little bit more about you, if they want to connect with you, ask you a question or two, where can they find some of your information? First place, I mean, check out my, my podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show, because I mean, you'll find so much information on that, right? I've got I'm in my sixth season right now. So there's plenty of, of, of content to look at. Um, you can also go to my website, moneyripples.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-R-I-P-P-L-E-S.com. Not money nipples. Like uh, one guy said on an interview, it's not money nipples. I'm not that kind of guy. It's money ripples. There we go. I love it. I love it. I love it. And links to, to that will definitely be on the show notes, ladies and gents. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been a breath of fresh air. Uh, I, I, again, it, it's it's been mind blowing to to just kind of go through the, the typical person's mind as to their financial plan and their future and what they're currently doing, and to just kind of flip it on its axis and get the listeners to just think a little bit more about what the decisions you're making today mean in your overall financial future. So, again, listeners, take action, take action, take action, and we'll talk to you very, very soon.
quick announcement here. If you have not yet signed up for the four keys to building a lifestyle business through real estate masterclass, the free live masterclass with me, where you'll be learning two of the most profitable real estate strategies today to dramatically cut down your risk, yet can be utilized with no cash, credit, or banks. You'll also be learning the key shift that disconnects your time from your income. And this shift enables real estate investors, successful real estate investors, to, to create what we like to term a lifestyle business. So you'll be learning that shift on the live masterclass. You'll also be learning the four highest converting approaches to closing deals with motivated sellers. Guys, this approach is going to drastically reduce the icky sales feeling that you get, the maybe even the timid or nauseated feeling that you get when you're about to get a deal done. Uh, this is ultimately going to help you serve a seller and create the most profitable real estate transaction for you. Last but not least, guys, on this live masterclass that you can sign up for now if you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass. Last but not least, you'll learn the single most effective way to become a real estate investor here in 2020 and why you must know this starting out right out of the gate to stay motivated throughout your business building journey. Guys, that link again is beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass. This is a live masterclass coming up this Thursday. This will be the very last time we'll do this masterclass and we will be shutting it down if you don't want to miss it. Beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass. And I cannot wait to see you there. If you are a member of the tribe, make sure that you hit the chat box while we're going live and make sure that you represent for the tribe. Beforethemillions.com forward slash masterclass.